The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Fucking... everybody and welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling's patreon patreon hold exclusive. on hold on hold uh-oh, on uh-oh. wait a minute oh what hold what is on hold on bro you know what you just sounded like who oh no you know the story don't you no what did you do what's with the what's with the Meltzer voice john what what is that what is that i'll walk off this right now <laughs> What's with the Meltzer voice, John? It's a tribute. It's a tribute to the... Lower uh, that. Lower that voice a couple of octaves, bro, because you reminded me of Meltzer, and I almost threw up in my mouth. Oh, sorry about that. (laughs) Sorry about that, Vince. But anyway, welcome to the Q&A here with Vince Russo, exclusively on the TMPT Patreon, patreon.com slash TMPT Empire. Vince, how's everything going? Everything's great, bro. I just put you over. I just had to do another podcast from uh, eight to nine before I came on here. And I put you, bro, and I put you and your brand over. And I was telling them the great story of Kevin Sullivan relieving himself during uh, your interview, which was one of the greatest things I think I ever saw in my life, bro. You know, it's funny. I got a little bit of heat from that from some of the fans. Oh, that was disgusting. Oh, they should have edited it out. Are you kidding me? Bro, if you would have vetted that out, I would have been hot at you. That was that was tremendous, bro. Are you kidding me? And I know I was talking to Rick about it. I said I made a creative move to keep it in because I thought it was funny. That was hysterical, man. That was great. I mean, that's some Crash TV 101, right? Yes, it is, man. You can't uh, you can't cut that stuff out, man. Now, Vince, obviously the former WCW World Champion, the former head writer for the WWF. DNA, WCW, you've done it all. You've been asked millions of questions. Uh, probably you've heard of them all throughout your illustrious career. And obviously, when you do all these interviews, you get a million questions. So I'll just start off asking you a question. Then I'll, we'll have uh, Kaz jump in, then Derek, and then Rick. And we'll go right. off of there. And when when Larry jumps back in, I'll let Larry. And then if Jay joins us, we'll, we'll get him in there as well. But just the first question. I don't know if you've been asked this, um, but... Cornette recently said that Disco is a Russo apologist, a Russo stooge. What do you think about Disco? Is he a, a oh, Russo ab- stooge? Bro, absolutely not. Oh, my God. Bro, I probably, not probably, I argue more with Disco than with anybody, bro. Like, Disco is the last guy uh, that's going to agree with what I say. I mean, man, if anybody watches our shows, um, you see, man, me and Disco argue every single week. Abs, absolutely not, bro. Cor- Cornette's a very hateful person. I mean, he just, you know, he has something negative to say about everybody. And you know, bro, it's it's kind of sad because I got to tell you, as much as Disco and I argue, bro, he is one of the most nicest stand-up individuals I've ever met in my life, bro. This was a guy that made a career in a wrestling business, in the wrestling business, never played politics, never participated in that game. uh, Always made you laugh, was always honest, was always there. If you needed them, 
And bro, it's like, man, when when you're cutting a promo on somebody like Disco, it's it, it's it's just kind of pathetic to me. But uh, yeah, bro, I don't think uh, if anybody heard our shows, I don't think you'd label Disco a Vince Russo apologist and supporter or anything like that. Why did he say that? Do you have any idea why he said he was a stooge and uh, stuff like that? Where did that come from? Uh, well, supposedly on their Keeping 100 show, like, you know, Disco talked a little bit about um, a lot of guys who were labeled as hard to work with. And then Disco said, well, a lot of these guys that were labeled hard to work with kind of worked with Cornette. So is that where it stemmed from? So Glenn was just raising a question. Uh, somebody who heard the show, Buzz Cornette, took Disco's comments completely out of context. Uh, Jim never listened to the comments himself. He just took for, uh, for the word of what a listener said, and that turned into him cutting a promo on Disco. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, Kaz. You are up. What do you got? All right. First of all, me being from Canada, I'm probably the biggest Bret Hart fan. You can actually call me a mark for Bret Hart. And uh, talking about the Attitude Era, um, I'm thinking it started back Austin versus Bret, uh, the big double swerve of the big double churn. Um, my question is, um, did you have a lot of influence in that storyline? Uh, the whole uh, Bret canada versus us the whole brett turning heel the whole uh just like even the double turn like did brett say hey i want to i want a character change i want i want to like beef up my uh you know my career right now what can we change or did you guys go to him and say hey what if you turn heel because i find the canada versus the us uh storyline was probably like one of the best storylines in wwf history and especially in 1997 so just personally i want to know like how much influence did you have and like even brett hart Vince McMahon too as well, like because uh, it just rolled on and it was like amazing and like it never stopped. And Brett just he nailed it, he killed it. Yeah. Well, Kaz, let me first tell you by saying, um, and bro, I've said this a million times. I am a huge Brett Hart, Mark. You know, bro, Brett. Brett has like, I, I don't know, bro. He he has said some things about me, and you know, I mean, I've read where he's like taking some shots of me. Bro, I, he, he could take all the shots he wants at me. I'm always going to put the guy high up on a pedestal. I don't have one bad thing to say about Bret Hart, bro. Not one. Um, bro, let me ask you a question. Remember the incident where there was a steel cage match and they were taken down the cage and Bret can... Was that before the double swerve or after? It's ironic you said that because... That's exactly what I was watching before I came on here. Yeah. Uh, yes. This was this was a night before WrestleMania, so this is when Brett had the pipe bomb and said everything was bullshit. Pushed Vince McMahon so, down. So this is before the double. Yes, this was a night before WrestleMania 13. Bro, I'm going to tell you something. I remember I was not writing at the time. I I was not involved in the writing. I remember watching that in the arena. Bro, that right there was probably the start of the Attitude Era. Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking. You, you'd never seen anything like it before. Brett was absolutely amazing. I had nothing to do with the double turn. I was not writing at that point. Um, when it started turning into U.S. Canada, I was getting in more involved in the writing. But Kaz, if you notice, bro, um, and this was like, this was really my style of writing. Bro, it is very important to stay true to your characters. Bro, Brett never turned heel. Brett was Brett, and Brett was saying what Brett thought. And what he was saying, they loved him in Canada. They yeah. hated him in the United States. But, bro, none of that was forced to make him a babyface or a heel. All of that was very, very organic. And Kaz, I got to tell you something, bro. When I go back and I watch some of Brett's stuff, I don't know where this crap comes from that Brett couldn't cut a promo. 
Like, I don't like, bro, some of the stuff Brett did was absolutely amazing. And then you, bro, maybe people say that because he was such a great worker that you really didn't pay attention to his promos. But man, bro, he was knocking it out of the park during that time, man. He, he did a tremendous job, bro. Yeah, I know. He's one of the best. Uh, bro, I'm I'm his biggest fan, man. I always was. I would, you know, bro, when I when I went to WCW, my number one goal was we need to put this guy in the spot that he deserves to be in. And that was like my number one goal when I got there. And then of course he got hurt and whatnot. But um, bro, I um I I I, I will never, ever, ever say a bad word about Bret Hart. Derek, you are up. Vince, I don't think you were ever asked this before. Um, and all the time you worked with Vince McMahon, did he ever hate the idea that you both had the same name? Because in his, in his mind, there is only one Vince. Bro, I swear to God, I am so glad that you asked that question because this is, a, this is an absolute shoot. Now, bro, you got to understand, before... I worked at the WWE. I owned my own businesses. I also worked for CBS. Like CBS is a very, very, very big company. Bro, I remember when I started working at the WWE, like the mandate came down officially that they literally, people I worked with had to call me Russo because there could only be one Vince. That is a shoot. And, bro, I swear to God, I was like, are, are you freaking kidding me? Like, is <laughs> is this a rib? Like, they, they were dead serious. And I said, bro, I said, guys, he's not the only one in the world with the name Vince. Like, that's my name. I, I don't want people calling me by my last name. I find that very, very rude. And somehow, some way, it wore off. But yeah, bro, at the beginning, you were supposed to call me Russo because there could only be one Vince. Which I was like, are you kidding me, bro? Yeah, very, very, very true, man. <laughs> RBV. Rick, what do you got? Uh, well, first off, uh, Vince, uh, thank you for taking the time this evening to, to sit down with us. Uh, an incredible opportunity. And I know that everyone's honored to be here. Uh, you know, well, Rick, do you have any um, do you have any radio experience? Uh, actually, I, I'm in school now getting uh, getting my degree there. Uh, actually, I co-host with with one of your partners, uh, Ben Hameen. I do the Monday locker room with him. Oh, and- you got a great, great, great uh, radio voice, bro. Very, very great. I was going to say uh, it's what uh, Rip Rogers says. Why are the guys with those voices always so fucking ugly? <laughs> that's the last <laughs> I, thing. Because uh, you really got a great radio voice. That's, that's the last thing he said to me when I talked to him. I said, thanks. Thanks, Rip. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Uh, but, you know, we know about, you know, all the work with WWE, with, with Impact, WCW. And, and now today, I mean, you really are, especially in pro wrestling, you're one of the pillars of podcasting. Uh, what I don't think gets talked about that really kind of jumped out to me in in your in your great career is even before we could even imagine these podcasting platforms, you actually hosted a wrestling talk show on radio. Uh, as you talked about working for CBS, I guess it was through, uh, through some kind of connections there. But I was curious. Let's see, you did this but in the early '90s, uh, Vicious Vincent's World of Wrestling. Uh, you, you ran for what around a year there. I, I'm curious about how you pitched this thing, how the development went, and how was it received then? Well, bro, there was really no pitching it. I paid for the airtime because I, you know, bro, at that time, my my video stores were going out of business and I needed a job. So I invested in myself and I paid for the airtime to do Vicious Vincent's World of Wrestling. But, bro, it's like it's amazing how everything comes full circle. Because when I started doing that show, bro, in 1991, bro, I fell in love with radio. Like, like I did, bro, if I would have had a choice, okay, Vince, you can get a full time job in the rate as a DJ in radio or a full time job in wrestling, bro, I would have taken the radio job in a 
heartbeat. I fell in love with radio, bro. Bro, to this day, I would take a job in radio in a heartbeat. Um, I don't know what it was, bro. I, 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 I don't know. I, I can't put my finger on, bro. I loved radio a million times over ever being on TV or like, I, 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 bro, I honestly, I did not enjoy being a character on TV. I did not enjoy it, bro. The reason I did it was because at the time I thought it was necessary, but bro, you cannot write, produce and be on the show. It's, it's impossible. And I knew being on the show, I was taken away from my other duties and I did not like performing on the show, but I always loved radio, bro. And I don't, I don't know why I, I live in Colorado now, bro. I know a couple of DJs. I'm still trying to get on the radio, you know, here in Colorado, but um, yeah, bro, like that, that's the thing I wished I could have done. You know, you know, bro, a lot of people don't like the fact that, bro, I wasn't the wrestling mark who had these hopes and dreams of being in the wrestling business. My, my jobs in the wrestling business, bro, they were jobs. That's how I handled it. I was a writer for WWE, WCW. That was my job. I wasn't doing it out of my love for wrestling. And this was my dream job. And I was dreaming about this when I was a kid. And I was tape trading when I was four years old. I didn't do any of that. My my true love, bro, always has been radio. Uh, that's why I'm just so lucky to be doing the podcast now, bro. When, when you launched the, the the radio show, then why wrestling? I mean, how did what was the, why? I know you got great passion in sports, baseball, music. What was it that that made you okay? This might be my niche, or how was the development about? Because prior to that show, bro, I I was able to get my foot in the wrestling door when, and this is where the light bulb went on in my head. My stores were going out of business. And uh, I, I ran a couple of big wrestling promotions to bring people into my store. Okay. And that's where John Arezzi walked into my store. He wanted me to uh, like sponsor his radio show. When John walked into my store, like I knew my businesses were going out of business and I knew I needed a job. And I'm like, you know what, bro, this may be my foot in the door of another connection, another job. So I started doing I started helping John with his radio show. And I started realizing wow. how much I liked radio when things didn't work out between me and John. That's what, when I continued on my own with my own radio show. So it was the love of radio still trying to keep my foot in that wrestling door because out of all of this, I needed a job. Awesome. Yeah. Now, I guess Larry's connection is bad, but he did write in the private chat here. If Vince Russo could rewrite the Millionaire's Club versus the New Blood storyline in WCW, how would he have ended it? Bro, that's a great question, and I don't think I can answer that because – Bro, a lot of that was happening organically, and we were just going with it. Bro, when we first started that, the idea was they're going to root for the young guys and boo the legends out the, out, out the building. That's what we thought. It didn't work that way, bro. They were, they were, the, the fans were going on the side of the legends who we wanted to put out of business, and they were booing the younger guys out of the building. So – because that was a surprise, I would have kind of just went with the flow. I would have just wrote it organically as it was happening, like that stuff that happened between Hogan and Kidman. That was all real, bro. That was all very, very organic. So I, I would have let this story write itself without really determining what the end game was going to be. I, I did the same thing, bro, at TNA when, you know, for a while there, you know, there was a lot of um, improvisation going on. We, we were just improvising. There was no script. There was no nothing. And we were just letting things happen organically. 
I think that's what the business needs today. We need a realistic backdrop, what's really going on in the world, what's really going on in the industry, and we need to to work within that and just kind of just kind of organically go with what happens. I think that would be so interesting to so many people. So like I I I, I don't know where I would go for it, where I would have went with it. I would have just let it play out, man. Whose idea was Hogan and Kidman? Just speaking of that, because obviously Hogan told him you couldn't sell at a flea market. He said that on a, on a yeah, radio yeah, show. You I'm, guys heard that? That was that was my idea exactly. I mean, I'm like, okay, bro. Well, let's 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 take this to TV, and let's see what Billy Kidman has to say about that. Of course, bro, it fell short because Hogan refused to put Kidman over. So we were very very limited to what we could do. But that's exactly where we took it from. With WWF, speaking of just random stuff here, so Ed Ferrara did the Oklahoma thing in, in WCW, but didn't that really start in the WWF because Vince loved his imitation of JR? So I know you guys get a lot of heat for it, but isn't it kind of Vince McMahon's bullying of JR that kind of really was the catalyst of Oklahoma, the character? Yeah, bro. It, like it, it was, it, it, it was, bro, but. Bro, I swear to God, part of a Vince used to love that at WWE. Bro, I swear to God, like you would not even believe. I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you this, but I'm gonna get a, I'm gonna get a notebook. So, bro, this is how bad Vince was. We were in a. Um, we were in a production meeting before a raw or a pay-per-view. It doesn't matter. And Jr. had just had his second bout of Bell's palsy. And bro, me and Vince are at the head of the table in front of the room. Jr.'s literally not even 10 feet in the first row looking at out, out at us. Okay. So, bro, when the when the Bell's palsy first happened, like there were moments when it was like Jr. had a hard time, like controlling his tongue. You know, like his tongue would just waggle. He was having a really, really hard time, right? So, bro, this is like how bad Vince was. I'll never forget this, bro. Jr. Jr. sitting in the front row. He he asked a question. And Vince says to JR, hold on, JR, let me discuss this with Vince. Okay, bro, he's sitting maybe eight feet from us. So I'm sitting next to Vince. Vince holds his notebook up to kind of shield for me and him to have a sidebar. And Vince looks at me, bro, and starts going like this. Like little in the middle of a meeting with the guy sitting now, now, bro, imagine me. I'm like, are you effing kidding me? Like, bro, like seriously. So bro, that's how, you know, Ed with the Oklahoma started. And bro, I swear to God, as naive and as stupid as we were, part of the reason we were doing it at WCW was to pop Vince because we knew like Vince was like a big fan of that. And like, that's how it started. Like we're going to do it on TV and we're going to pop Vince, which was totally asinine and ignorant and stupid. I mean, bro, listen, there, there, there aren't many things I would say um, I would take back. I was ashamed of, I was embarrassed of, I made a mistake that that is the one thing. If I could ever, ever take that, I regret doing it. I've had the conversation with Jr. a million times, bro, a million times. And, you know, Jr. you know, has forgiven me multiple, multiple time, times. But, uh, the, bro, that that's that that's that's that was on me. I'm, I'm not going to. Yes, bro. He did do it at WWE. It did entertain Vince. That was no reason for us to to do it. it it was insensitive it was cruel it was freaking horrible and uh without a question my biggest biggest regret in in, in, in my profession 
Cass, you're up. Round two. What do you got? Well, speaking about the product today, how uh, it's not good. And speaking of like organic reactions, how everything is controlled now and like no one really cares. Going back to uh, the Attitude Era, like 1998, I think it was, one of the biggest pops ever experienced was an old Zamboni, the <laughs> Boston moment in uh, Detroit. And like the minute he drove out on that Zamboni, the crowd just went ballistic. He got that Zamboni, jumped and started pounding on Vince McMahon crowd would not shut up like that seemed like organic like did you have any say in that that um segment as well like that storyline oh, 1000 percent, kaz this is like this this is what pisses me so much this is what pisses me off so much about today's product bro kaz you gotta understand you know monday night raw was at a different building and arena every week Okay, bro, every arena had its own personality. So, bro, what I would do is the second the production meeting was over, what I would do was I'd have my list of all all the pre-tapes we had to shoot, okay? And, bro, I would walk around that entire building, and I would look for locations that were different, locations that were unique, you know, locations that were cool to always put you in a different scene. And I love doing that, bro, because every building was different and you'd find some really, really cool shit. That's how the Zamboni thing happened, bro. There was a Zamboni there and holy shit, wouldn't it be cool if, and that's how that happens. Bro, today, that's why when I watch these shows today and every interview is in the same freaking spot over and over and over again, it's like, like, are you guys like really that lazy? Are you that lazy that you can't explore? You can't find new locations. We can't do stuff outside. We can't record stuff earlier in the day. We're just going to keep going back to that same spot. Bro, we we use the personality of that building as a backdrop for the show. It's like it was part of the show. And the, the bottom line is they're just too lazy to do that today. There, there's no other reason for it. They have access to wherever they are. They are just too damn lazy to move away from that one spot. I, I loved doing that, bro, because I would find such neat things and unique shots. And it really added to the show. They're just freaking lazy, bro. And that's that's the part that pisses me off. You, you want people to watch this show and you're putting like zero effort into putting this show together and you want me to watch? That's the part that pisses me off, bro, because it could be so much better. Is it because they don't just they don't care because they have money coming in from NBC? Exactly, bro. Like, that's there's no competition. There's nothing. They- bro, you know what they care about? Here, here's what they care about. We've got to fulfill our contractual obligations. We've got to give them three hours of content every week. We don't give a shit what that content is. We've got to give them three hours of, that's it. That's exactly what they're doing, bro. The check is the same regardless of what that show looks like. TKO, you're up for round two. Vince, I hope this doesn't sound like, excuse me, a crazy question. But did Vince McMahon understand what a great wrestling match was? Would he ever sell it when guys came back after a great match and say, well done, guys, that was great? Or would he just say nothing or what? No, Vince appreciated a good wrestling match. I I mean, without a shadow of a doubt. And, bro, more than that, I think Vince appreciated when, you know, like guys were really, really working hard. So, like, if he felt two guys had a great match and they were working hard, he would definitely acknowledge it when they came through. Vince appreciated a good wrestling match, bro. He really did. Vince, can you quickly tell everyone the story about Jesse Ventura and the cigar? 
Oh, I love yeah, I, I just love that story, bro. <laughs> yeah, you know, bro, Vince has like his pet peeves, you know, we, you know, like Stephanie addressed them, like you, you're not allowed to sneeze and you're not allowed to nod your head. And you know, one of his biggest pet peeves was just like, you know, hating smoking. Like he always, always used to be on Pat Patterson's ass because Pat was a smoker and Vince was always, always all over Pat. And uh, when Jesse was the governor of uh, Minnesota and Vince brought him back on the show, bro, Jesse Ventura was just walking around backstage with a, the biggest, hugest, fattest cigar you could find <laughs> and was literally blowing the smoke in Vince's face knowing there wasn't a damn thing Vince could do about it. And, bro, Vince no-sold it, didn't say anything, and, like, Jesse knew, like, it was absolutely killing Vince. I mean, that, I, bro, that was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Was Vince you know, afraid or just basically couldn't say anything? Couldn't say anything. I, I mean, the, the guy's the governor at this point. What the hell is he going to say, you know? But it was, uh, yeah, I mean, that was, uh, that was classic, man. Brilliant story. Yeah. R B V. What do you got? Well, that's what we're talking about today's product. And one of the, I guess the big misconnections with the audience and all that I see today is we're not in awe of superstars anymore. We don't have those larger than life personalities. Can you talk about, I mean, you had such uh, um, an influence in, in creating characters from scratch, helping those along find their own voice, their way. Can you talk about your, your process there? Uh, either if it's from from scratch, how do yeah. you match a, a character with a with a individual, or even how you help somebody like a, a Stone Cold or a Bret Hart, you know, giving them tips about how they can find their voice. Well, bro, for he here's where it starts, bro. It starts with the roster, okay. And this is where during the Attitude Era, um. This is where I I cannot give JR enough credit because JR put together a roster just like any professional team would and he he hands the roster over to us this is the team okay when JR handed over the roster to us bro everybody on that roster deserved to be on that roster. And I knew with JR, bro, JR knew and understood the it factor. Everybody on this roster had the it factor. So now that roster gets turned over to us and now it is our job to give all these guys and gals the tools that they need in order to become larger than life. Now, bro, why I make that comparison is we'll fast forward to TNA. And, bro, there was a time at TNA like, you know, Scott Damore was bringing in a lot of guys from, you know, Canada that we had never heard of before. And, you know, like, you know, they, they were signing everybody. And, bro, a lot of the reason they were signing a lot of these unknowns were because they didn't have any money. So they, they were getting these unknowns for cheap. But, bro, I can tell you when all these unknowns were getting signed, Bro, there were times when I would tell Dixie, Dixie, so-and-so, they're never going to get over. They, they don't have the it factor. There's nothing I can do. I can't give them it. You've got to have it. If you've got it, I can work with you. If you don't have it, I can't help you. So everyone on that WWE roster had the it factor. Bro, when I turn on AEW today, like, like what? Like, seriously, bro, like, I, I, would, I would have to stretch. Bro, John, do you have any idea how many people are on their roster? Around 80. 
which exactly. I was, I was going to say, between all the shows, the, yeah. the evolution, the dark, the what we see on Dynamite. Bro, I swear to you, I would have to stretch to find 10 out of the 80 that have the it factor. Seriously, bro. Bro, definitely 50% of that roster, those guys and gals do not have the it factor. They will never get over. They weren't meant to be stars, and all the creative in the world is not going to help them. So, so Rick, JR hands over this roster of a professional team, not, not, not indie guys that want to be wrestlers. This is a professional team. So now what my first job is is to sit down with these individuals and really try to tap into something that is unique to them, that is important to them, that is who they are. Because I realize, okay, these this roster, they trained to be wrestlers. They're not trained actors. They're trained wrestlers. So what you got to do is, bro, you've got to limit the acting. And how you limit the acting is by tapping in to who they really are, what they really believe in, what they really think, and what they really feel, and then magnifying that a million times over. Because now, bro, when they go out and cut that promo, when they have a feud with somebody else, a a the the root of that character is who they really are. So they're not acting. They're not, they feel very comfortable because deep down inside, Steve Austin is Steve Austin. Deep down inside, the rock is the rock. Mick is Mick. That's who they are. So they're not going out there pretending to be somebody else. They're taking the core of who they are, and they are just magnifying this a million times over. And this way, bro, because you've got to convince the fans this is real. Bro, if they're bad actors... I mean, like, bro, Rhea Ripley was reading cue cards two weeks ago. She's reading cue cards, bro. I mean, come on. If you don't have that it factor, bro, first and foremost, you're never going to get over. I don't care how great your work in the ring is. You're never going to get over to a national audience, bro. Uh, just a real quick follow up on that. Could you talk about somebody who uh, definitely you you find those bits and pieces of that underlining in that in that actual individual when you create that character? But what about somebody that does seem so outlandish, like a Val Venus? Uh, could you go through that process? Just, just bro, they're, they're 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 really the exception to the rule. A Val Venus, a gold dust. That's only going to happen happen every so often. And bro, I'll give you the perfect. I'll tell you exactly what happened with Val. It was Val's Val was ready to be on TV. That's what they tell me. I've been, you know, Sean Morley's ready to be on TV. That's where I come in and I, I got to tap into Sean. None of this happens today, by the way, none of this happens. So bro, I was starting to spend a lot of time with Sean and bro. He was even back then heavy, heavy, heavy into politics. Heavy, bro. That's all he talked about. So, bro, while I'm working with him as the writer, like I am the least political guy you'll ever meet. So, like, while he's having these in-depth conversations with me, I'm saying to myself, bro, I'm not going to be able to write. I'm not going to be able to write that for you. I don't I, I don't understand that world. So, I was really at a crossroads and I'm like, bro, I can't, I'm not going to be able to, I, I can't reach his level of politics. I can't do that. But I just, you know, bro, the more I looked at him, I'm like, man, bro, like this guy just looks like a sleazy porn star. Like that's what he looks like to me. He looks like a sleazy porn star and bro, I'll never forget. And when I pitched Vince, that's exactly what I said to him, bro. He's all about politics. I can't write for that. I said, but Vince, this guy just looks like a sleazy porn star. And I remember giving Vince the name Val Venus. 
But see, bro, that's the it factor. When Sean Morley did Val Venus out the gate, you thought he was a sleazy porn star. Like it was un freaking believable he became the first time we shot vignettes he became that guy but bro let me tell you things like that and things like gold dust those are the anomalies they they don't happen often very very once in a while but yeah bro sean morley like just he became i don't know how he tapped into it um, I know he didn't have any acting experience or anything like that, but man, he embraced that character. But again, bro, to me, that's the it factor. You know, that's th- to, for you to be a performer and perform in front of people and to, uh, you know, extract an emotion from those people, bro, that's, that's an art and that you need the it factor to do that. Very nice. The next question from Larry is, whose idea was it to hang the big boss man at WrestleMania 15? Did the visual of that bother you, Vince? And it definitely did for some of the fans. Yeah, um, I, I mean, it was probably mine. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it was. Bro, that's the thing, man. You know, <laughs> you always hear, you know, again, bro, you know, the 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 folklore about Vince Russo, okay? Uh, and you'll you'll always hear, well, Vince Russo was only successful at the WWE because Vince McMahon was the filter and everywhere else he went, he was a failure and this, that, and the other thing. Yeah, me- meanwhile, TNA would kill to have 2 million viewers a week. But... So would WWE. <laughs> yeah. Here, bro, here's the difference. When you're writing for the WWE, and you're and 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 you know you have their money and their resources and their production you can write anything bro you can write anything and you know i don't know how they're going to do this but i know they're going to do it and it's going to look damn good when we're writing that out I don't, you know, the, the guy who did all that stuff, his name was Richie, and he was actually a magician. He R- Richard Curtis, he was unbelievable. When I'm writing that, I don't know how Richie's going to do it, but I know Richie's going to gimmick it, and it's really going to look like Boss Man is. I know he. that's what it's going to look like. So you have the freedom to write anything because you know your team is capable of doing it. Bro, when, when I'm writing for TNA, there, there was a price tag involved. You, you could not write things that were going to cost money. You could not write, you know, big spectacles. You were working under a very, very tight budget. On top of that, they didn't have the people in place that were capable of making it look like a Hollywood production. So as a writer, bro, it's not carte blanche anymore. They, they don't have the money to do this stuff. They don't have the resources to do this stuff. So I can't write on paper what's in my head because I know they can't do it. In the WWE, they could do anything I wrote, and I knew it. Bro, when, when DX invaded WCW, I wrote on the, on, on, I wrote on the script, DX drives a rocket launcher up to the building. Knowing they'll find a rocket launch. I don't know where. I don't know how much it will cost. When we arrive at TV, there will be a rocket launcher. You can't write that for TNA. It's it's never going to happen, bro. And and pe- people don't understand that, man. When when you're creative and you can write anything, it, it it's gonna be unbelievable. But when your lim- when your writing and creative is limited, bro, there's only going to be so much you can do. So, you know, yeah, we did write that knowing damn well it was going to be 100% safe. Uh, you know, they they would rehearse it, they would go through it, but by God, it was going to look like 
Big Boss Man got choked to death. With Steve Austin and, and that whole you know time period of the Attitude Era and the push, is it true that McMahon only cared about what he was doing on TV and Vince entrusted you with the script? Is Absolutely. that pretty much how it went? Yeah, bro. You know, I'll never forget it. Like when when Austin won the title, I remember the TV, bro. It was the TV where Austin went out there wearing the tie and the whole nine yards. Yep. That night, I'll never forget. Vince pulled me to the side and he said to me, Vince, from here on in, your number one priority is Austin. You're always to be by his side. Nothing else matters. Your number one priority is Steve Austin. And even when we wrote the TV, bro, what Vince always wanted to know was, what's the top guy doing? Everything else underneath that, bro, he really didn't care. He wanted to know what, and the top guy is usually the champion. What is the champion doing on the show? That's what he wanted to know. Everything else you know, we just wrote on our own and, you know, it, it was fine with him. Kaz, you're up for round three. What do you got? Well, I want to play off of what uh, RBV and you talked about, about uh, wrestlers and characters coming out of their shells. And I always go back to, uh, like you said, Mick Foley. Um, he was, when he started, he was like the mysterious, like Undertaker, Supernatural feud. Uh, 97, he still played that same character. But during 97, he started to come out of it. There's also footage of you talking to him backstage, the whole do love stuff, all that stuff like that, which also led to, again, another one of the biggest pops in WWE history is when he won the title for the first time on Raw. And when uh, Tony Schiavone says, don't switch to channel, that will put butts in the seats. That was probably the switch in like the whole uh, WWF beating WCW. Like that pop was unbelievable. Like also, um, was Vince McMahon behind? pushing Mick Foley or uh, like, did you have any influence in him and influence in uh, Vince to like, Hey, this is the guy we're, we're, break, we're breaking him out of this mankind character and, and give him more of a realistic, uh, yeah. you know, character bro, again, I swear Kaz. And this is what's missing today, bro. It's all organic, man. It, it's all bro. I got to be honest with you. When I started writing, they had the mankind character, which I did not understand. Uh, bro, I swear, I, I, what, what was, it? I, I didn't, what was it? Like, I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand mankind. I didn't understand the name. I didn't understand what his character was. But then, you know, we started working together, and you know, just you know, bro, organically, Mick creatively and Mick's mind, like it has no boundaries. And bro, Mick also is a very funny guy. Bro, the original Mankind, you never saw that entertaining, funny guy. But all of a sudden, Mick started really cutting these entertaining promos that was, you know, a lot of them, bro, were just funny. And they were really starting to get over with the people. Nobody could cut a promo like Mick Foley. So we just started that, you know, that mankind character started opening up a little. Then I remember, bro, like one of the things I loved doing was we piggybacked them off with the uh, we piggybacked them with the gold dust character. Oh, my God. What what, what would happen if 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 uh, mankind believed that gold dust was his mommy? Like, what's what's that going to look because, you know, you got two great performers, bro. And like, this is going to be incredible. And then, bro, I, I remember like going years back, I remember seeing the home video footage of Mick jumping off the roof of his house and doing the dude love character when he was like 18 years old. And, and then so it was just a matter of approaching him and saying, bro, like we got to do this dude love character like we've 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 got to add this to the repertoire. But see, that's the thing, bro. Here's the difference, man. Let's take Bray Wyatt and let's take Mick Foley. Bro, when you're working with somebody special like that, there are no boundaries. Like the sky is the limit. There's there's like nothing, nothing we can't do. It's it's you know, it's it's you, 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 the, the the character 
almost just becomes what's in Mick's mind. There's no limitations. You could do anything. And it's going to be different every time. Bray Wyatt is that same kind of character. The problem is Bray was not in the same system that Mick was in. So Bray is going to be told what to say, what to do. This is the finish of the match. He, it, it is going to be dictated to Bray, this is what we're doing. Bro, I didn't dictate anything to Mick. Mick, here's the outline. Th- th- this is where we need to get. How do you want to get there? I mean, that's how we worked, bro. The, the, bro, when somebody is creative, you can't put limitations on them. You, 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 you murder them. You kill them, bro, when you don't allow them to be creative. Never in a million years would I have went up to Mick with a script. Mick, you're saying this, and then you're doing this, and this. Are you nuts? I would go up to Mick. Mick, this is what we're thinking. This is what we got. And, and the mind would start going. I swear, bro, if there is, man, I, I, I've been out of the business now, bro. Like, shoot, I mean, it's going on 12, 10 years that I've been out of the business Bro, I would give anything to work one-on-one with Bray Wyatt. I, I would give – see, now, if Vince McMahon were to offer me money as a consultant, Vince, you work with Bray. You guys do whatever you want. You you tell us every week what this character is doing. Bro, I would do that in a heartbeat because getting to work with somebody like that – would just be like an absolute honor. And what what they've done with that talent, like literally, bro, it it just it breaks my heart. I, I feel so bad for the guy because the system has failed him. And bro, the system should not be failing you. The system should be helping you. Very true. DKO, Derek, round three. Okay, uh, Vince, <clears throat> I've never heard you talk too much about it. Your last run with WWE. Can you summarize it? I know it was fairly brief, but I've, I've never heard much other than Vince told you that you'd have to eat shit for a while and then you fell out with Stephanie McMahon. Yeah, no, bro, like I said, man, I three years later, I walked into a totally different world. And like, I knew, bro, like I knew I I didn't want to, I didn't want to believe it, but the reality was I would never, I would, I I would, would never have been successful in that structure. It it, it would have never worked. It was a totally different world. There were now layers on top of layers on top of layers and I knew, bro, the, the minute he brought me in, you know, Vince and I were meeting secretly for a while and we, we came up with a deal. We came up with money, the whole nine yards. And bro, I remember when I, when I, when he brought me into that writer's room, I was like, bro, this is not, this, this, this is not going to work. Then he put me on the phone with Stephanie And I'm like, this, this is not going to work. That's why like people talk about like now, like, uh, you know, would you ever go back now? Oh my God, bro. There would be no way I could ever be successful in the structure and the environment that they've created. You, you, I, I, I just could never do my thing, bro. It would be a total waste of time on everybody's part. R B V round three. You're on mute, Greg. I, I always do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been about a decade or so since you, you've been removed from that aspect of the business. Uh, you've always known, you know, you got the Russo swerve, you got crash TV. You always seem to really be able to mirror what was happening in society in your storytelling. So now in 2021, what would a Vince Russo product look like? Oh my God, bro. My product would, my product would look like again, bro. Everything starts with reality. What's going on in the world. So my backdrop of the wrestling business would be 
the reality of the world and the reality of the wrestling business. That's what my show would be. Bro, the whole what what they went through and what they endured with COVID. That that whole process of not being able to do live shows anymore and having to do this Thunderdome and having to put a hundred screens around. Bro, there is so much there. Bro, we were in the midst of Black Lives Matter and they put the Hurt Business together and the Hurt Business never one time mentioned Black Lives Matter. Like, what? Like, is, is anybody watching TV? Do, do, do you got bro, they're, they're so far removed from reality. Bro, I heard too, bro, through the, you know, through my sources, bro, there's about eight people that have not been on TV and they're not hurt. They're not injured. They're not giving a reason why they're not on TV. Now, bro, two of those people, if you notice, since AJ and Almos won the tag titles, they've not been on TV. Well, bro, rumor has it that these people have not been on TV because they don't want to get the vaccine. That's that's the rumor I've heard. Okay, bro, why why isn't that on TV? Do you know how interesting that is? Do you know how intriguing that is? Do you know, bro, the entire world is is going through on a personal level, vaccine or no vaccine? The entire world's going through. How is that not the show? So, so what happens, bro? AJ almost win the tag titles and then we never see them again. So people are sitting at home saying, huh? Well, wait a minute. What? Same thing with Bray Wyatt. Wait, what? Like, you, bro, you can't just, you can't just not explain things because, oh, uh, no, we're not going to go there. Because you got a very confused audience at home. And, and bro, bro, the one thing that the wrestling industry does not know how to do, bro, and I think it is all because of the wrestling bubble and this make-believe world that they all live in and have created, bro, they cannot deal with reality. They just, they cannot deal with what's going on in the world. And that's, bro, where they really, really fall short. Question from Larry. Had Dr. Death won the Brawl for All tournament, would Vince Russo have had Dr. Death Steve Williams versus a Steve Austin feud have that play out? Probably. I mean, you know, that, that was never the plan. That was never discussed. You know, again, bro, it's like the way we wrote it, 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 bro, it was organic. So like at that time, if, if we would have felt that that was the way to go, that's what we would have done. But, um, it was, it was just really organic, bro. You know, you know, there's a lot of, you know, absolute bullshit out there that, you know, Steve Williams was supposed to win. And, you know, we we wanted to have an angle between Williams. Bro, that was never discussed, ever. Never one single time was that ever discussed. So it, pro- it probably would have happened, but we never discussed it prior. Where does that come from, that rumor? Because that's been out there for a long time. That comes from that. That was in Jr.'s head. That was it. Was in Jr.'s head that Steve Williams is going to go over and then he's going to be in a program with Austin. That was in Jr.'s head. That was never ever discussed creatively. Now, bro, I don't. You know, listen. I'm not privy to conversations with Jr. and Vince. And I'm sure Jr. pitched that to Vince. I'm sure, but I am telling you, in the creative meetings when we were sitting there writing this, that was never, ever, ever discussed, bro. Ever. Did Bart Gunn get punished for winning? In 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 what terms? 
He wasn't really used much after that. Then got you know. Then obviously got the butterbean fight. Got knocked out, but it wasn't really used much after that. Yeah, bro. Listen, I'm I'm gonna put that. Um, I'm gonna take responsibility. I'm gonna take responsibility of that, bro. Listen, Bart's shortcomings in the wrestling business were always his promos. He just he was not good on the mic, and he just didn't have much of a personality, and that's what really held him back. So even though he won the brawl for all, you're still dealing with the same problem. You know, if you're going to push him and you're going to get behind him based on the brawl for all win, bro, he still has to go out there and give convincing promos. And, and think about that, bro. If you book him in something with Austin, think of him in Austin in a ring, cutting a promo, going back and forth. Austin's going to eat the guy for lunch. So promo skills always kept Bart back. And even in winning the brawl for all, the same problem was still there. So it wasn't a, a punishment or anything like that. It was kind of like, man, we were still we were still stuck with the same problem because this guy's strong suit was just not his promo. Gotcha. And I think that's a great way to stop. We're at the one hour mark, believe it or not. That flew nice. by. So absolutely perfect uh, stopping point. Thank you, everybody, for, for joining us. But Vince, what's going on uh, for some plugs? What, what do you got going on? Yeah, guys, as always, man, just the two platforms, uh, Russo'sBrand.com and Patreon.com forward slash Russo TWC. I mean, we've got so many podcasts. You know, John helps us out. John is great. Uh, you could pick and choose who you want to listen to. We start at 75 cents a week. No long-term commitment. You get a taste of everybody, bro. You get many, many, many different opinions. So uh, just try that out, man. Russo'sBrand.com, Patreon.com forward slash Russo TWC. Kaz, you got any um, plugs you'd like to throw out there really quick? Uh, no real plugs. Uh, I'm just happy to be here and happy to share uh uh, media with a Hummy I mean, Media Group and Russo's brand. Happy to share clips. Happy to on social media. Just I'll keep on doing it. It's amazing content. Just everyone's got to listen. Just the best the best podcast in wrestling right now. Like don't listen to the dirt sheets. Like this is the real stuff to listen to. Nice DKO. What about you? You can catch me on Twitter at Derek O'Reilly thirteen on Twitch at DKO nineteen eighty eight. And me and JP have got another interview coming up this week. It'll be a nice one. Nice. RBV, what do you got? Well, as always, uh, a proud partner of all the amazing projects going over with the Russo brand uh, is the Hameen Media Group. Uh, we are still out in limbo looking for that that landing space, that new home. Uh, but don't threat, you can get all of your, your regular content, all the free content available on Patreon. That's your, your locker rooms, your reviews. Uh, that is patreon.com backslash Hameen Media Group. Uh, and you can keep up with me, all things RBV across all social media at the real RBV. And of course, Larry is on Instagram at a wrestling historian. Got great stuff, great content over there. You can check him out. Also on Twitter at let's go back to WCW. Great stuff on there as well. And of course, for me, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at two man power trip. Check out the website, tmptempire.com. And of course, Patreon, patreon.com slash tmptempire. Vince, thank you again. For joining us, really now, appreciate John, all the time. Do I get the link to this because I want to take your opening introduction and I want to put that on my roadcaster. <laughs> I want, I got, I gotta, I gotta have that on my roadcaster. Sure, sure. Okay, yeah. can you please send me that clip? Yes, yes. Um, thank you very much, John. Right. No, guys, it's been great, man. Listen, man, those, those were, I, I swear, bro. Like every time, like I've got to do an interview or something, I'm like, oh man, because bro, it's it's the same questions you guys had great questions man and you guys had in-depth questions and you know bro I, I i love when i get asked things that you've put some thought into not just like the blanket questions so i just want to thank you guys man for really you know taking the time to put the thought into questions great great questions and i just want to thank you guys for all your support man thank you thank sir thank you Vince. Thank, Thank you, Vince. for everything you do, Vince. The brand Thank is you, brilliant, and it's for pennies. 
Thanks, bro. I appreciate really is. That. And that's Thank life is a free show for everybody, and it's a phenomenal show. Yeah. Thank you very Thanks, much. Just don't, Thanks a lot. Don't bro. stop what you do. Don't stop. Yes, yeah, please, Vince. Don't ever stop because <laughs> it's really essential, especially right now. It's it's all the entertainment we get out of main how main media. RVB, you can take this back to Ben. You guys do brilliant work. It's just, I honestly, if, if I hadn't have run into the brand, I wouldn't have found Hammy and Media, and I wouldn't have the contacts I have today. Thank you all very, very much, and please Thanks, stay bro. safe. Much appreciated. Thanks, bro. And thank you, everybody out there, for uh, tuning in, and thank you to the uh, Patreon members or patrons. Thank you, guys, and thank you, Vince. All have right. a good one, everybody. Yeah. Take care, John. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash TMPT Empire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two Man Power Trip, where the power lies brother.